Awesome. Welcome back, those of you who are online. We are ready to continue. Um, we're continuing this morning in our Advent teaching series <clears throat> about the fullness of joy. So in the traditional church calendar, uh, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas are on the themes of peace and hope and love and joy. Especially this year, we want to emphasize the fullness of joy that we have in Jesus. So a couple of weeks ago, if you'll remember, Pastor Bill was preaching, and he said that uh, peace is the pathway to joy. Then last week, he said hope is the arrival of joy. And those are great messages. I encourage you to go listen to them online if you haven't already. Uh, this week, continuing with the, the theme of, of uh, traditionally love, I want to talk to you about love as the fuel of joy. Uh, so let me start by reading for us our passage for this teaching series. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Luke writes, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. One of the most basic truths of Christianity, one of the things that the Bible is, is very clear about, it teaches that God is eternal. He has no beginning and no end. This is basic Christianity. There has never been a moment when God did not exist. And there's never been a moment when Jesus, God the Son, didn't exist. Recent uh, study found that the majority of professing American Christians uh, don't believe that Jesus existed before He was born in Bethlehem. They thought that's where He started. Uh, not just that He was incarnated from heaven into, into human flesh at Bethlehem, but that He was just a natural man that was born that way. Uh, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God has always existed as a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, and that Jesus, God the Son, has lived forever in this perfect relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And the, one of the most amazing things about the Bible's message is that Luke records for us that one night outside Bethlehem, an army of angels lit up the sky, shouting praises to God and announcing good news of great joy, news that the eternal Son of God, the Ancient of Days, just spent the last nine months in the womb of a virgin, but today He had been born, that now He's here. A Savior is born to you because God so loved the world. Christmas fundamentally is a celebration of the love of God. The manger in Bethlehem is proof that God loves you. So Jesus, while continuing to be fully God, also became fully man so that He could live as a man in our place, 
and die as a man in our place. He lived as a, a man. He lived a perfect life of love toward God, and he died a death of complete punishment from God. As our representative, he offered his perfect life to God to be counted as our life. And he offered his sacrificial death to God to be counted as our death, because that's what we deserve, to die under God's wrath for our sin. And his payment for us on the cross was so complete, so full, so sufficient, his righteousness in his life was so perfect that God raised him from the dead on the third day so that the curse of death because of sin would no longer be applied to a sinless man. This perfectly righteous man no longer had to bear the curse of death because he was fully righteous and the sin debt had fully been paid, so it was the right righteous thing to do, Romans says, for God to raise him from the dead. And Jesus went through all that so that if you believe in Him, receiving for yourself what He did for you on the cross, your sin will be washed away. God will count you as fully righteous as Jesus Himself, and you will then, by His grace, because of what Jesus has done, you will forever enjoy the unfathomable love of God in His presence forever. This is the gospel message. This is what Christianity is about. This is what Christmas is about. All other loves in this life are imperfect and weak compared to God's love. As beautiful as natural love is, as right as it is, it never is fully what it should be. Love is, love is beautiful. The love for a spouse or a child or a parent is, is beautiful and profound, and I'm so thankful to God for this gift of human love, but only God's love for us in Jesus is infinite and flawless. I know Christmas is a really difficult time for some of you who have especially broken or strained relationships, maybe with family or friends that used to be really close. The people who really should have loved us most sometimes don't. Their love isn't what it should be. Our love for them maybe wasn't what it should be. And things aren't the same anymore. Maybe the relationship isn't, isn't even there right now. I want you to know that it's okay. I believe the Bible would say it's really okay for that to hurt. You know, you don't have to put on a face. You don't have to suck it up and push it down and pretend like everything's fine. It's okay to feel deeply sad about that. The brokenness of this world because of sin is painful. So don't be afraid to grieve and lament that to God. He cares, and He wants us to be real, and He wants us to bring that to Him. At the same time, without minimizing the reality of that pain, I want to encourage you that you were ultimately made to receive and experience and enjoy the perfect, gracious, permanent, all-sufficient, all-surpassing love of God forever. There's a famous quote from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. He said, uh, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I believe that's true, and I think we could paraphrase it this way. 
if I find in myself a desire for love, which no experience of earthly love can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made to experience a heavenly love. And you were. You were made for the love of God. Your longings are echoes. Uh, your longings for love are, are just uh, pointers and echoes of the fact that you're longing ultimately to be loved by God and to receive the love that God has for you. And not just some generic, impersonal love that God may have for humanity generally that we sort of tap into, but it isn't really specifically about us. Now, the Bible says that God's love is, is personal. It's specific. It's particular to you. God loves you, who you are, who He made you to be. We've been going through the book of John, and it's, it's really interesting to me that the Apostle John who wrote that book uh, never refers to himself by name. He shows up in the story, but, you know, he'll say, Peter said this or Nathaniel did that, but whenever he refers to himself, he just says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And some people, some, some critics of Christianity or skeptics, look at that and say, well, this is evidence that John the Apostle didn't really write this letter because that, that seems pretty arrogant, right? Like he's sort of elevating himself uh, and giving, almost giving himself this, this title that's special and this, this uh, exalted uh, privilege and status, so it can't be him. You know, who, who are you to say, well, I'm the, the disciple that Jesus loves? But they've got it totally backwards. John's not being arrogant when he refers to himself that way. He's being humble. It's like he's saying, you want to know who I am? You want to know what matters about me in this story? Jesus loves me. That's what matters. That's what defines me. It doesn't even matter if you know my name. Jesus loves me, and that is my identity. Jesus loves you personally. God loves you personally and specifically. One of my favorite Bible verses about the love of God is Zephaniah 3.17. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with singing. Parents, especially of little kids, you can all, many of you can, can uh, attest, uh, parents, especially of little kids, tend to sing a lot. Um, I have no doubt, I love to think about how Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem and in the days to follow uh, sang over baby Jesus, just their love uh, for him just overflowed in song uh, as they held him in their arms. As a dad, I, I cannot begin to count the number of times I have sung to my son, especially uh, to comfort him when he was little. If you're a parent, you've probably uh, made up uh, different songs about your kids, silly songs and serious songs all about how much you love them and delight in them. Uh, I've, I've made up silly songs about Gus when he was little, about how he's the cutest baby in the house and, you know, the cutest baby in the world. Um, it's probably TMI. I, I don't know why I'm sharing this. But I, uh, uh, you, you know, you, you change a lot of diapers uh, as a parent, and uh, um, experience eventually prompted me to, to try to, you know, uh, sang a little diaper-changing song about don't pee on daddy, you know, and don't, all that stuff. Didn't always work, uh, but he, uh, he, he didn't, he wasn't good at listening at that point. Um, but singing to your kids, it's, it's what you do, right? Like, it's natural. It, it's like sometimes your love for your child just has to overflow in song. 
But can you believe? Like, like, this is incredible. Like, what other religions in the world believe this kind of astonishing thing that God Almighty, the God of the universe, rejoices over you with singing? It's incredible. We don't want to just be satisfied with knowing and being able to rehearse out loud to ourselves the, the lyrics of the gospel. We want to hear and enjoy the music of the gospel. Maybe you believe that in Jesus, God does say to you, I forgive you. Maybe you believe that you will one day fully hear God say, I accept you. But maybe you have never yet dared to believe that God sings over you in love, saying, I love you, I treasure you, I'm so glad I'm your daddy. But he does. That's who he is. That's who he's always been. You know, Christians are historically a singing people. We have written countless songs of praise to God from Moses and David all the way through to today in all different cultures around the world. But all of our songs of love for God are a response to God's eternal song of love for us. We love because He first loved us, the Bible says. And what's even crazier than that to me is that John 17, 23 says that the Father loves us just like He loves Jesus. Like, have you met me? Like, that's astonishing. The Father's love for the Son had no beginning. It has no limit. God's love for the Son has no reluctance. It has no reservation. There has always been full, infinite, glad-hearted love constantly flowing between the Father and the Son. And the shocking message of the Bible is that God loves His people like that. Ephesians 1 says God chose us and loved us before the foundation of the world. Like in the Christian life, part of growing uh, older and having more experience in the Christian life, you, you end up having this fight of faith that gets deeper and deeper because you get to know yourself more and the depths of your sin more and how, how deep this thing goes. And, and it's just harder and harder sometimes to believe. You need more and more of God's grace and spirit to help you believe that God already knew all of that and He loved you. But that's what the Bible teaches. All of your sins, He knew ahead of time and says, I love you. You, I want you. Christ died for you. Just like there has never been a moment when God didn't exist, and just like there's never been a moment when God the Father didn't love God the Son, there has never been a moment when God has not loved you, His people. When we receive His love for us through the gospel, it creates love and worship in our hearts toward God, and it fuels our joy in Him. Like, how do you not have joy when you hear a gospel message like that, and you believe it, and you see that it's true? Like, you're amazing. I love you. I'm so happy in you. And that's what heaven's going to be like, just all of that without sin, without hindrance, without any more filters, just joy in God's love in His presence forever. One surefire way, though, to be joyless is to try to earn God's love. 
If you insist on trying to earn God's love, you will either be miserable because you know that you don't measure up to the standard that you set or the standard that you see in the Bible, or you'll think you do measure up and you'll be mad at everyone else who doesn't. We all know probably both of those kinds of people. Very religious, very observant, very serious and joyless. It's kind of like the parable of the prodigal son. The Pharisees the Bible says, hated that parable. Because for one thing, at the end of the story, the sinful, undeserving younger brother was welcomed back in gladly with joy, and he sat feasting at the father's banquet. And that's how the story ends for him. And they're like, been out of shape, like, this, this is wrong, you know. It's too uh, lenient. It's too gracious. The father who represents God shouldn't act like that. Pharisees hated it, but they also hated that story because it ended with the obedient, transactional older brother estranged and staying outside the father's banquet. In that story, there's two brothers, and only one of them at the end is enjoying the presence of the father, and it's the one who had gone off and squandered his life and made a wreck of everything, but was humble enough to come back and say, I don't even deserve to be your son, and was shocked to find that the father loved him and welcomed him back and celebrated him and just poured his love out on him. Whereas the older brother was like, he didn't earn this. I've earned this. But at the end of the story, he refused to come in to the banquet and the celebration. If you insist on having a transactional relationship with God that is based on you earning anything, you give me this because I've done this, you will be keeping yourself out of the party of God's love. But if you humbly confess that you need His grace and trust Him to save you based only on the transaction of the cross, you will be welcomed in with open arms to love and enjoy God forever. No matter what happens in this life, no matter how bad things get for you, you can have real joy in God, the Bible says, because you know, you have confidence that His love for you isn't going anywhere. No matter what happens, no matter how much you suffer, no matter how much you are hurt by other people, no matter how much you lose, the Bible says none of those things will ever mean that God has stopped loving you or that He doesn't fully love you. It never means that. The cradle and the cross, Bethlehem and Calvary, are proof that God fully, forever, perfectly loves you. Paul says this at what some people consider the, the climax of the whole Bible at the end of Romans chapter 8. He says, For I am sure that neither death nor life speaking to Christians, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love the Bible. I love God. Like, there's, there is no news in the universe better than this. And what's, what I love about this, one of the things I love about this, it doesn't even just say that nothing will separate us from the love of God. It says nothing will even be able to separate us from the love of God. Like, it wouldn't have the power to separate you from God's love if it tried, whatever it is. 
So there's nothing. There's, if you're in Christ, if, you, if you've trusted in Jesus, you are as secure in God's love as if you were already in heaven. There's no question. It's an absolute certainty for everyone who believes the gospel, who doesn't try to earn God's love, but just receives it by trusting the good news of Jesus. So, very simply, short, shorter message today because we had our friends up here for Q&A earlier. Uh, I just want to urge you and encourage you in the good news of the gospel this Advent season to believe the gospel of God's love for you. Just again, maybe, maybe for the first time, maybe you've been rehearsing the lyrics but, but inwardly just trying to measure up. Hey, you can drop the mask. You can, you can receive the music of God's love for you and trust Jesus for the first time. It's okay. You don't have to hide. However long you may have been performing for God and performing for others, God's love, His, His arms are outstretched to you today to repent and believe the gospel and be welcomed into the party of His love. So believe God's love for you, maybe for the first time, maybe for the millionth time. Let's just marinate in it and saturate in it and meditate on it and remember that in all the gift giving and all this stuff, it's all echoes of the, the gift of God's love of Jesus uh, because He has always loved His people. So believe in the gospel of God's love for you and then respond to God in love and worship. Let's ask Him to always please just be rooting out of us any heart idols that compete for our highest affection. However painful that is, God, tear it out of us. We don't want to love other things more than we love you. And let's pray. Today and, and Advent season and, and ongoing, let's pray that we would overflow with God's own love toward other people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for loving us. God, your love is unfathomable. We, we couldn't have made up a story this good if we tried. Or the religions of the world that, you know, in, even from ancient times have, have made up or conjured up different stories and theories about the universe, none of them come close to imagining a God this fully loving, fully gracious and kind towards his people who would give his own son and a savior who would give his own life to reconcile us by grace. God, thank you. Lord, we worship you. Thank you for your love. We, we receive it by faith in Jesus. We trust you. We, we praise you, God. Help us right now to experience afresh and to hear again your, your voice singing over us in love. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for drawing us to yourself. God, would you receive our worship? We know that you do in Jesus. We know that uh, we're with you and that we'll, we'll never be separated from you. So God, we praise you. We overflow in love and praise to you. Change us and make us more like Jesus. Help us to love you more, not to earn anything, but just because we love you so much, we want to be closer to you. We want to rightly know you and, and delight in you and overflow in love towards others. We pray that you do all these things and more that we don't even know to ask for. For the fame of your name, from the neighborhoods to the nations, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, every week we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, there are two tables in the back that have these, these cups. Uh, if you didn't get one on the way in, you're welcome to go and uh, get 
one for yourself, maybe uh, some for your whole row or your family. Um, you're welcome to get those on the way in uh, every week. But there are two seals on the top of this cup. One opens up uh, a wafer of bread, and the second one opens up a cup of juice. And we do this because the bread uh, of the Lord's Supper and the Bible represents Christ's body that was given for us on the cross. And the cup represents the blood of Christ that was poured out for us on the cross. And this is a celebration, a, a feast of love and joy that the, the church has always participated in, always commemorated. Because we're, we're saying so many things. We're saying uh, that we trust Jesus. We receive Jesus again. And just like our bodies need food to have life, our souls need Jesus to have life. And it's his death given on the cross for us that has given us life. And we continue to receive him by faith. We are saved. We're fully secure. But we live by faith in him and enjoy uh, all that he is for us by faith as we go forward. So we celebrate him with the elements, we, we commemorate his death, and we celebrate his resurrection as well. If you belong to Jesus, if you've trusted in him to save you, uh, you're welcome to take this with us. You don't have to be a member of this church, you just need to belong to Jesus. If you have not uh, trusted in Jesus, we encourage you to do that, uh, but we ask uh, that it, if you have not yet, please refrain from taking this because the Bible says this is a, a special uh, commemoration for Christians only. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Paul continues, in the same way also, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. What I'm purchasing for you, this perfect relationship with God, where it's not dependent on you keeping your end anymore, it's going to be secure and forever. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Paul adds, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's proclaim his death by taking the cup together. Lord Jesus, we remember you, we celebrate you, we praise you, we thank you for all that you've done for us in the gospel. We worship you now. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and praise God through song.